This is Breaking the Rules, a show for mental health professionals designed to help you build confidence in treating obsessive compulsive disorder. I'm Dr. Celine Galgich, and I'm a clinical psychologist who works extensively with OCD. And I'm Dr. Victoria Miller, but you can call me Tori. And I'm a clinical psychologist who works with young people, including those with OCD. Through our shared professional experience, we've found that effective treatment of OCD requires commitment, creativity, and the recognition that things can sometimes get a little messy. They sure can. We want to empower clinicians to be able to work with their patients in new ways to treat OCD with confidence. Welcome to today's episode. Today, we are chatting with Dr. Claire Lawson. Claire is a clinical psychologist and the director of her group private practice, Lawson Clinical Psychology in Perth, Western Australia. She has been working in government and private practice settings for the past 21 years and has spent much of this time treating OCD. She is passionate about training and is involved in the supervision and teaching of students as a professional practice fellow at the University of Western Australia. She is also a mentor with the Clinic Mastery team where she provides business coaching to help allied health professionals grow their clinics and increase their impact. In today's episode, you'll hear Claire share her perspective on what it's like to bring ERP into the group therapy space and how you can get creative when doing so. She also shares her ideas on the difference between group and individual sessions and how we can make use of both options. Let's get started. Thank you so much for joining us, Claire. Thanks for inviting me. It's good to see you. You too. It's been a little while thanks to COVID. It certainly has. (laughs) Tell us a little bit about yourself and you've worked with OCD for a long time. Tell us a little bit about how you started working with OCD and how you became a clinical psychologist. Yeah, so I guess how I started working with OCD, I was on one of my very first pracs that I did during my master's training. I went on a placement to Royal Perth Hospital and got to work with uh, Dr. Claire Rees, who's a well-known OCD therapist here in Perth and really got my very first exposure to doing OCD work during that time and fell in love with it. And from then, I just sort of sought out clients that had OCD presentations through work that I was doing. So I started working in child and adolescent mental health. So was working with kids with OCD at that point and then moved into sort of adult work later on. But I think what I love about the OCD work is it being so hands-on and that you're actually kind of getting into the situations that clients are really struggling with you actually get to work with them in the moment and help them so yeah that's how I got started with OCD and why I've continued. It's so lovely to hear everyone's stories about how they kind of fall into working with OCD and I think a lot of people have gravitated towards it once having a little bit of exposure to it because of what you described in a sense that you've got that hands-on approach and it's really, really nuanced and interesting and just kind of seeing the change happen too is really wonderful to see. Yeah, absolutely. And sort of being able to kind of be in that moment with them where they suddenly are able to do something that they haven't been able to do for years, you know, is amazing and it's really rewarding work. It really is. What got you into psychology? I don't really know. Like, (laughs) (laughs) I think I've always been interested in people and always been interested in what makes them tick and why people do what they do. So went down that road. I was doing history as well at uni. Yeah. So I guess that kind of, yeah, why why do we do what we do? And behaviour was sort of the theme there. Yeah. Sounds like psychology found you. Yeah, it kind of did. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I love that. 
So you've got a couple of locations in Perth in your private practice and you also teach psychology students as well. In your clinic, you run groups just the same way that we do in a sense of providing an alternative treatment option for people with OCD. So today we're going to explore a little bit about that difference between groups versus individual sessions and that sort of stuff. So Claire's going to share her wisdom with us today in talking a little bit about groups. What motivated you to get into groups? There's a couple of reasons, really. One was at the time that we started doing groups, we were really only able to access the 10 rebated individual sessions for Medicare. Yeah. And we were finding that for a lot of our clients with OCD, that 10 sessions was really not enough to get them to the point that they wanted to get to. So then we thought about, well, if we could combine sort of individual therapy and group therapy, so where the clients could start with some individual work and then move into groups or start with groups and then finish things off in individual work, that they would be able to receive a decent course of treatment that would help them achieve the goals that they wanted to achieve. But I think also having had a little bit of exposure to running groups in previous work that I was doing in child and adolescent mental health, really seeing the power of a group and how kind of working with other people in a group that have got similar difficulties to you can be be really motivating, it's really normalising for clients and they kind of really cheer each other on. So it's a great experience to work in a group setting like that. So yeah, there was those two reasons. I guess one of the other ones was having the ability to train other psychologists in how to work with OCD. You know, we know that there is a a lack of psychs that have really got that specialist training in running groups, but also in providing ERP treatment for OCD. It was an opportunity for a couple of us on the team who have more experience in that area to run these groups alongside people that didn't really know much about OCD and to really kind of train them up and them to have that hands-on experience of working with someone with more expertise in OCD. Learning alongside a colleague is a lovely learning model, isn't it? Because it's very safe. There's lots of direct teaching opportunities. You can reflect afterwards. You learn in the moment through observation. And it's a great environment, I think, for doing that co-facilitation work. I remember really early in my training working within the CAM system that there was a lot of capacity for that that you just don't have in private practice. That's right. So most of the learning in private practice happens within supervision space that you then bring back to your patients. But yeah, but it's marvelous, isn't it? Yeah, it's like your co-therapist is learning from you. You're modelling as, you know, kind of, I guess, the lead therapist. and But then you're also seeing that same process happen with clients in the group. Too. Yeah. There's often a client in that group who takes a bit more of a lead, who's the one who's willing to put their hand up to do the first exposure and they're then kind of modelling to the rest of the group, this is how you do it and and it is doable and it's manageable. So yeah, yeah. it's interesting have, watching those sort of processes happen side by side. That learning is so powerful. Like we often find in our adolescent group that there's often one who's a little bit more attitude than some of the other. <laughs> I've tried this before. It's not going to work. You know, and then you've got a couple who lead the way and they're like, hmm, because it's not coming from us, another parent, so to speak, or lead in a sense of telling them what to do. It's that learning from each other is so powerful. And by the end of it, they're all participating. They're all, like you said, encouraging each other. It's such a valuable process to happen. 
Absolutely. Yeah, it's lovely to watch that happen. Yeah. And to have the other clients in the group kind of challenge someone if they're coming up with some excuse as to why they can't do it or maybe even you know coming back to a previous group and saying you know what I remember last week you were able to do that so what's going on this week why can't you I know you can because I've seen you do it Mm -hmm. and it's great that it's not just you and the other psychologist in the group with you you've got often some other co-therapists in terms of clients that are assisting. I think Celine and I both found that the group therapy process has been really useful for clients who might be a bit stuck in therapy, who are just a little bit resistant or having trouble shifting forwards and actually need to hear it from their peers or from other people with lived experience of OCD who can really empathize and validate in a way that we as practitioners we can't have the same effect. I mean, we can be incredibly compassionate, empathic. We can be great coaches and mentors and all of those things, but there's nothing quite like hearing it from someone who also has that lived experience. It's a very powerful process. What do you think the other um, benefits of group therapy are? Well, I think time and cost. If you've got, we always run our groups with two therapists, but you've got two therapists potentially helping up to 10 clients. For us to see those clients individually, that would take a lot more time to provide that treatment. So I think it can be quite efficient in that way. I think it's really good in terms of normalising Clients that we see have often never met someone else that has OCD. So for them to be able to kind of be in the group and go, okay, I'm not alone. And I think from an intrusive thoughts perspective as well, like, oh, my thoughts are weird. I'm the only one that has these thoughts. And we always go through a process of brainstorming different types of intrusive thoughts and get them to put them up on the board. And it's a fun activity. Yeah. Yeah. And you can sort of see clients going, Someone else has just put my thought on Uh it. I I thought that was, I was strange and there's something wrong with me and it means something about me that I've had that thought, but they've had it too. Like, Mm -hmm. And it kind of just really starts to make that shift in terms of maybe these thoughts aren't as important as I thought they were to begin with. (laughs) yeah I think the ability to model as well so we do with exposure what we do in the group is that we get someone to put their hand up to say okay would you like to try something off your hierarchy and then the rest of the group will do that exposure with them so if it was for example going and touching the toilet seat then the rest of the group will do that alongside the person whose item it is and so then having that ability to kind of model that okay well I can do that I feel a little bit uncomfortable but I'm not super anxious and yeah I think that's really helpful and really kind of encourages them if they can see all these people doing it they're less likely to sort of then go oh no I can't follow through on this exposure task which they might do if it's just individual therapy yeah it's the power of group and working together that encouragement yeah And I think one of the things that I've actually, I don't know that it was our intention, but it's something that we've discovered along the way, the benefit of young people coaching one another and the way that they consolidate the skills that they're learning because they take on a teaching role or a coaching role with their peers and the way that it really helps them integrate the information Yes, so that then they can take that home. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's so multidimensional group therapy, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, apart from the fact that it's just a lot of fun, it's just, (laughs) it's effective in lots of different ways, isn't it? (laughs) <laughs> it certainly is. I absolutely love being able to get out of the clinic as well. And <laughs> yeah. We often kind of like have a group of us, so we would always split the group 
generally in half. So each therapist will take half the group and then we'll go and do a bunch of exposures out in the real world. So yeah, walking around the supermarket, touching trolley handles, you know, going and getting bleach and all of those things that clients are often afraid of. Finding asbestos fences. (laughs) Great. (laughs) Walking too close to the road. Yes, stepping on things or leaving things (laughs) behind, you know, leaving something on the ground that someone might trip over. Walking past schools. Yes. Yes. Being near playgrounds. Yeah. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. Having images in your mind as you're walking past someone about maybe stabbing them or something like that. And yeah, the whole group kind of doing that. Yeah. Yeah. We've kind of leapt into this, so it might be good to just sort of continue on this path. I think I'm presuming that it's an ERP group. Yes. Yes. So can you tell us about ERP in the group setting? So how does it work? How does it differ from what ERP in the individual setting looks like? Yeah, so in terms of treatment, I guess it's very similar to how we would do things on an individual basis. The treatment process, we go through some psychoed at the beginning, making sure that all of the clients are on exactly the same page about you know what is OCD, you know, what are intrusive thoughts, what are rituals. And then we talk through what the treatment looks like and we do some role playing of that. So that's the good thing about having two therapists is we can kind of role play exposure, how we're going to do it in terms of just sitting with the distress that comes up from completing the exposure and not distracting, not trying to make it go away and just waiting for that to pass. So we will do that. We spend some time kind of creating hierarchies with the individual members of the group and they can help each other out with that, which is quite a good experience for them. If someone's stuck as to what could I do next on this hierarchy, the rest of the group can kind of chip in with suggestions and ideas. And then we go through working through people's hierarchies. So we try to make sure that there are things on the hierarchy that they can do within the group setting. So sometimes it might mean bringing things in from home or, as I mentioned, going out of the clinic. And then, yep, yeah, we get started on that ERP and we will pick someone. The first ERP is generally someone else's that they'll do as a group and then they'll kind of move to their own and, if possible, getting other group members to do it with them. Uh, yeah. And then some at the end it's really just consolidating kind of gains, relapse prevention. But in between, obviously, the end of each group, we're setting homework and home tasks, home practice. Mm-hmm. So looking at how they can be really consistent with their exposure exercises and ritual prevention outside of the group setting. How many weeks does your group run over? So we've run ours. It's not ideal because it's, I guess, limited to the, the Medicare yeah. um, system. So we run the group for 10 sessions mm-hmm. um, and then we have one follow-up a month later. It could do with being a a bit longer I think yeah to maximize the benefit of it yeah for sure how long is your group that you ours is six sessions so it's a short intense kind of we do it for a couple of hours each week also because of the age group we're working with we try to fit them into school terms so it's a lot more accessible and families can actually commit to attending to all of the sessions rather than skipping ones here or there because of competing commitments and the length of time. We decided to go with six, yeah. But as a result, what we do is we, you know, in terms of expectation is that the 
purpose of the group is to get people up and running and ready to continue with their individual practitioner as opposed to feeling full resolution of symptoms or a lot of movement through the hierarchy because we cannot be achieved in six sessions and we don't want to rush psychoeducation or skip over distress tolerance skills. We want to really invest in each of the phases, but at the end, it means that it's really about setting the young people up to then proceed. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas our group, there would definitely be clients that would come into group with symptoms at the end of group leaving still with some, maybe some mild symptoms, but having made significant gains. Which is so good. How marvellous. I remember doing DBT training a long time ago now. And for those that aren't familiar, DBT has group as well as one-on-one sessions at the same time. And I remember sitting there thinking, why don't we do this for OCD? Like a specific program where we can have concurrent individual and group sessions where you learn the skills and you do your intense ERP and have that collegial learning and that mentorship and coaching through peers because it's so valuable and then unpack anything where clients might be getting stuck or there's individual hurdles or there's things underlying OCD that often drives some of that behavior to kind of unpack in one-on-one work where you might not have the opportunity to do that in group. I just think if we could do that for a good 10, 20 sessions and have both of them concurrent, it would be absolutely amazing. Yeah, we've done that with some clients. Yeah. How did you find it? It works really well yeah. as long as the individual therapist and the group therapist can communicate absolutely yeah. um, about what's happening. It's been working well for clients that with more of a severe presentation, so they're not, you know, ideally we'd want to be seeing them twice weekly for individual sessions anyway. So. Yeah. If we can have them come in and do a group session and individual, then we we can really kind of get on top of some of their symptoms quite quickly. It means they're doing exposure. They're doing two hours of it in group and then they do an hour of it in individual therapy. So they're really getting through that hierarchy quite well. And it really capitalises on motivation, doesn't it? It does. Absolutely. And we often find, I don't know about you, but clients, they'll kind of finish a session, whether it's individual or group, and they're like, yes, I'm going to go and I'm going to be doing my kind of exposure tasks outside of it. And they start off at the beginning of the week after that session doing it. And then by the time they come back around to coming back to therapy, it's like, oh, I forgot about that, or I haven't done it, or so life got in the way. Yeah. So we really do talk about the importance of consistency. And this is a, an everyday thing. It's not just, a, oh, I've done that exposure, so therefore I'm not going to do any more. Yeah. It's definitely not a sometimes thing. No. Oh, no. OCD is way too sneaky for that. Are there any occasions when you might not think that someone was suitable for a group therapy setting that would be better treated in an individual setting? Uh, Certainly, I think with those risk issues. So if they have comorbid depression and there's risk issues or any kind of, I guess, personality issues that may interfere with the group process or may place them at risk and we tend not to take them into group. Mm -hmm. But they're the, the main ones. Clients that really struggle with intrusive sexual thoughts are often reluctant and very anxious to come into a group setting. We try to encourage them to because when they do come into group and if they are able to share what some of the thoughts are that they really struggle with, that can be incredibly powerful because the rest of the group will be like, yeah, I've had thoughts like that. They don't bother me, but I've had thoughts like that. So I think that's really a great thing if we can get them into group. Claire, what is 
I don't know why I said your name like that. Sorry, Claire. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm going to start interrogating you. <laughs> Dr. Lawson, <laughs> please explain why. <laughs> what is a particular dynamic you might notice within a group? Because we do have to be mindful as clinicians of different dynamics that can go on within a group. What is something that you notice in particular that we need to be mindful of as clinicians when running a group for OCD? Yeah, I think as we've been talking about the sneakiness of OCD, that it can often appear as uh, reassurance seeking. Oh, yes. And other group members then kind of chipping in and saying, it's okay, you know, you can do this or nothing bad's going to happen. So that's something that we have to be really mindful of. And we actually talk about with clients right from the beginning that if we notice that OCD is seeking reassurance, then we're going to call it out. And whether it's seeking reassurance from us as therapists or from other group members and going to encourage you to actually just call it as well if you see it saying hey is that you asking for reassurance is that OCD wanting to know that everything's going to be okay and it's great when clients can actually then say to each other like I'm not going to answer that question because that's what you that sense of feeling empowered yeah yeah and strong yeah 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 how do the participants respond to that pretty good we try to keep the group quite light-hearted and to sort of laugh a bit when that those things happen and they just go hey no that's your OCD I'm not answering that question then they'll have a bit of a laugh but sometimes they do they get caught in there as we do as therapists yeah, right we, sometimes we fall into that trap of reassuring we're able to kind of use that as a bit of a learning experience about well this is what happens OCD is so sneaky you've yeah. got to be watchful for it it's not the end of the world that it's happened but let's just try and catch it next time do you do any work with parents, families, partners of the participants in the group? With our adult groups, generally not. We would leave that if they've got individual therapy for that to happen. We have run some teen groups as well. And um, yes, we definitely work with the parents in that process. How do you integrate it? We've been doing it as separate sessions. So the parents will come in at the beginning of the group program for some psychoed so they know they're on the same page, what to expect, what ERP looks like, really setting the parents up as a coach, someone that's going to assist them to fight back against OCD. Around about the middle of the group program, they'll come back in for a review of how are things going and what are they doing that perhaps is encouraging OCD to keep going. So how they're accommodating that and setting a bit of a plan for them to reduce some of those behaviours. How marvellous. It sounds like your program is very inclusive. It's like it's a whole package. It sounds like it's a very, very thoughtful program that you've put together. Yes, we try. <laughs> <laughs> always refining and reviewing. It's always evolving, yeah. Yeah. We know that when working with OCD, we often tell our clients about intrusive thoughts, as you mentioned earlier, and we normalize them and that sort of stuff. And so we ask our guests if they feel comfortable sharing a couple of their own intrusive thoughts that they might have experienced over your life so far. Would you be willing to share one or two? Absolutely. Probably share the one that I often share with my clients. So whenever I am chopping vegetables in the kitchen or chopping up meat particularly, um, my dog will come and obviously sit right next to me going, yes, I'll have some of that. <laughs> <laughs> and a frequent intrusive thought that I experience in that moment is actually just kind of like chopping my dog's head off with the, oh, the big knife. Mm -hmm. Just pops into my head. Yeah. And yeah have that one on a regular basis. There's also one that I'm pretty sure my son won't mind me sharing this uh, with, but we talk a lot, obviously, in, in our household about 
intrusive thoughts and about OCD. And so my kids have grown up kind of hearing about this. And so one day he was putting knives away in the drawer after washing the dishes and he had two knives in his hand and he's like, hey, mum, I just had one of those intrusive thought thingies. I had the thought of sticking them in your head and making them look like ears. Yes. Uh, And he was able to just go, you know, isn't that weird what our brain does? Just throws these silly things out. (laughs) That's great. Well, what a great experience for him, for him to go, oh, this is what it is. And to not react with that fear of going, oh my gosh, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? Yes. While you're talking, I'm getting all of these intrusive thoughts about uh, chopping vegetables and chopping and dicing my fingers. I've got this image of my little diced fingertips all over the chopping board next mm-hmm. to the carrots and the celery. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's actually really quite amazing what our mind does, right, yeah. and how yeah. our mind can be so creative. Oh, um, yeah. It takes a situation and think about all of the possibilities that mm-hmm. could happen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, most definitely. Claire, what is something you now know that you wish you knew earlier in your career? Yeah, that's a tough one, right? I think... Spending less time in individual therapy sessions and group therapy sessions, talking through what you're going to do in terms of exposure with the client Mm -hmm. and talking about it, like got to cover kind of homework and what they've done. Yeah. But if you spend too much time going, okay, this is what we're going to do, how we can do it, the client just get more anxious. They're less likely to follow through. Yeah. It's just better to kind of go, right, this is what we're going to do. Let's get up. Let's go do it. I wish I'd known that earlier on because I think then you can be far more effective. We can spend forever thinking about it, talking about it, but that actually doesn't change things for the client it really doesn't and it kind of feeds the ambivalence as well doesn't it yeah and the worry thoughts that often come along with alongside OCD so yeah not getting caught up in those and just being sort of very action kind of let's get into this I think if clients rely on intellectualization they can definitely engage with you at this level of talking and preparing and planning as a way to resist moving into that action stage can't they and it's so easy to get hooked into that as a practitioner to continue continue the psychoeducation and do the motivational interviewing and the encouragement and you can do it and and start reassuring them. <laughs> that's right yes yes absolutely right. yeah yeah it's very much the case when you've got okay well how about we try this exercise today and the anxiety comes up and then you're like and then you do you get drawn into all of those processes at a point you have to go okay I know this feels uncomfortable but we now have to start doing because the longer we think about it the worse it's going to get that anticipatory anxiety we know the neuroscience behind that don't we yeah But I think, Claire, it's interesting because I think that that's the kind of thing that's really hard to know early on in your career, isn't it? Because it's by having the experience of of seeing clients, you know, of playing around with the therapy and different ways of implementing it and seeing different reactions from different clients. And it's that practical experience that gives you the wisdom, isn't it? Some of these things that early in our career are just unknowable, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's also, it cannot often, I think when you're in early career is you can be a bit anxious about, oh, I've got to do this exposure with this client. I'm not sure how this is going to go. I don't know if they're going to manage that. Mm. Um, The distress that comes up, am I going to manage my distress? Mm. You know, kind of them feeling this way mm-hmm. but I think as you the more you do a ERP the more confident you become as a therapist that this works mm-hmm. right and knowing that you can just dive into it and um, that clients will be okay 
Yeah, they sure will. Claire, thank you so much for your time today. I'm so glad. I've been hearing about you a lot from Celine over the years, and I'm so glad that we've had an opportunity to officially meet and for you to have shared all of your wisdom with us and everyone listening. Thank you sincerely for spending this morning with us. Thank you for inviting me. It's good to see you both. You've been listening to Breaking the Rules, a show for mental health professionals designed to help you build confidence in treating obsessive compulsive disorder. This podcast is brought to you by Melbourne Wellbeing Group, a psychology practice based in Melbourne with a special focus on treating OCD. To find out more, head to our website, melbournewellbeinggroup.com.au. All one word, that's melbournewellbeinggroup.com.au. This podcast was made with strategy and production support from Wavelength Creative. To make sure you don't miss an episode of Breaking the Rules, be sure to subscribe to or follow the show in your podcast app. And while you're there, leave us a five-star review. It really helps others find the show. I'm Celine Galgetch. And I'm Tori Miller. And we'll be back next episode with more reasons to convince you to get messy. Have fun and break the rules. <laughs>